friends. This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this is episode three of season two. Criticize art, not artists. (laughs) I have been gone for a minute. I apologize. And also, it was important, I think, to take a little bit of time. The The podcast has been sporadic, and I think it will probably continue to be such <laughs> as such um, until I'm able to make up for the time, um, the time that is required to produce and edit and record and all the things is pretty substantial. And I am still just having learning curves with how am I going to fit it in. And I really appreciate you rolling with with it because I know that consistency is important and I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, But I really wanted to post this. This is not a Monday post. This is going to be on I don't know, maybe like a Wednesday or evening or Thursday morning here. Um, and then we'll resume with uh, next Monday having another episode. And I'm very excited about that because my friend Jade, uh, the founder of Volta Jewels Jewelry um, Company is coming and she's amazing. You're going to love her. And um, I've been excited to post that interview for quite a long time. She and I chatted back in December. Um Before I dive into today's episode and story and all of the things that I've been thinking about, I want to let you know a couple of housekeeping things, which is a sign that those of you cool housekeeping folks to listen in and those of you that aren't are going to skip ahead. That's cool too. (laughs) Um, I want to thank the patrons of this podcast, especially because I've been um, more quiet lately. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, this is probably going to be the future of how I create consistency in the podcast. So if consistency in the podcast is something that you're interested in seeing more of, <laughs> please consider subscribing um, for even just a few dollars a month. It means it makes such a difference. Um when those types of donations are compounded over time and it it will eventually free up my time to be able to focus more on you and the, and creating cool content and secret sauce. Um, the link is in the show notes as well is on my website, uh, beccajbrelli.com. And I, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out about that. Um, Last, well, I was going to say second, but also last (laughs) before we start um, chatting today, I am getting ready to release my first on-demand course. I've been teaching most of my life, even though I'm a working artist and many of you know me as an illustrator. I'm first and foremost an art teacher and I always have been and I always will be. And I have a lot of knowledge about teaching that I'm excited to share more and more of. And I put together my first five-week on-demand course, which is amazing because it allows me to offer five weeks of material for a much more affordable um, price. And it's on intuitive drawing and reclaiming your intuition when it comes to making things specifically through drawing. But this type of material is going to be applicable to all making, depending on what you're into. And 
Um, it's also going to be about reclaiming yourself as an artist. We spend a lot of time delving into the truths behind everyone being an artist and how society does a number on that and how um, we can move forward in a way that's more authentic. And this course is a compilation of 10 years of my life where I work to reclaim my artistic intuition. (laughs) And so it's stuff that I've truly been in the trenches with myself. And I think that that is going to really come through in the material. So if you've been feeling really called to a creative course, but you feel intimidated by typical life drawing classes or traditional art classes, this class is a hundred percent for you. This course, we will not be making drawings as a priority. We will be remaking ourselves. (laughs) The art will be you. And the drawings will be a vehicle to get there. I can't wait to release this. It's going to be released February 8th. Um, and this will be a limited time thing. So when I release on-demand classes, they're going to be just for a, a short window of time. So if you miss this particular time, that's okay. It'll be coming back again in 2022. <laughs> um, but if it's if it sounds like something you don't want to wait a year for, I highly recommend checking it out. It <clears throat> We also offer um, as a thank you for subscribers to our monthly newsletter, as well as to members that have a subscription to the Heart School Network, um, discount codes, both of those places, which are great to use towards classes if art classes are something that's, you know, a little crunchy with your budget. Um, yeah, housekeeping's over. Let's dive in. <laughs> I want to tell you a story today that I've been gnashing on for weeks and it's taking me some time to disseminate how I was going to tell this story and I'm really excited about it because I feel like especially I'm recording this on inauguration day um, this is a very heightened time it's the most heightened time I've ever lived through and I'm 40 and I think everybody is, you know, riding those waves and continuing to ride those waves. They just keep coming. And this story has helped me tremendously, especially in the last few months. And I just knew it could help y'all as artists and makers and creatives and people living through this time and space. And this story is about criticizing art and not artists. And I want to talk about what that looks like and I want to talk about it in a really special context because criticizing art and not artists is the most artistic thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, And I want to share with you a time where I really wrap my head around what that looked like. When I say criticizing art instead of artists, I I mean that phrase kind of as a metaphor. Criticize ideas, not people. Criticize behaviors, not people. Um, Label behaviors, not people. What, What creatively and artistically shifts when you scream at someone that they're a terrorist? versus you are terrorizing, right? Both are, you know, like 
both describe a similar thing, but they also have totally different consequences for the person that you're speaking to. And so I want to talk about this because I've been really thinking about it, especially in the context of when I was a school teacher. And I want to tell you the story that I first, when I first really saw this, this ability, criticize art, not artists in action. Um, before I share this story, this is a lovely story that I, that has a relatively happy ending, but it is a story that includes some mention of abuse and, um, very nominal violence and it may be triggering for some people. So if you're, you know, not in the space for that today, just know that that's okay. (laughs) You can come back to it another time. Um, and this story is about a student of mine years ago who I first met my first year of teaching art and he came to my school as a five-year-old and he, he's someone I remember and will remember forever because of two reasons. The first was that he was a tremendous drawer. His drawing ability was easily second, third grade when I met him as a five-year-old. And he loved it. His, his uh, whole demeanor would change when he was drawing. He would become absorbed. And the detail and the beautiful things he could draw, I was honestly probably the most impressive student I, I had in the five years and two schools that I taught at when it came to technical skill with drawing. It was amazing. The other reason that I will always remember him and think of him is because not long after he came to our school, his classroom teacher and our principal and other and the educational assistants um, quickly picked up on the fact that he was seeing violence at home between his parents. Um, and it, it became pretty clear that him and his brother were not on the receiving end of any physical violence, but, but definitely were witnessing it between his, his parents. And the reason that they knew is because he talked about it. He was five (laughs) and he hadn't been educated yet to know that there's certain things you shouldn't talk about. He was just, you know, describing his life. And, and I, I'll never forget not long after this kind of information became more transparent, I had a chat with his classroom teacher in the teacher's lounge one one day during lunch. And I was so new. I was a brand new teacher. I was experiencing some of this stuff for the very first time. And his classroom teacher was quite a bit more, more senior than me. She had so much more experience. And she said something to me that changed my perspective on trauma. She said, the thing that's really tragic about this is that he's been seeing this since he was born. She said, so to him, it's normal. For all intents and purposes, everyone experiences this. In his worldview, there's no, like, that's it. That's how humans that love each other act. She said, so this is his first model for love. And so when he wants to bond with his with other kids in the class, and he wants to connect with them and show them, that he, you know, desires connection with them, what do you think he does? He hits. 
he hits and he lashes out. This is what people that love each other do in his house. This is what's normal. And then, and then his peers are retaliating in frustration and anger and ostracizing him. And it's creating this circle of problems for this sweet boy who just doesn't know what to do because no one at home is giving him the resources. I was, I was, it broke, it broke my heart to hear that. You know, I never thought of trauma in that way, that this was like what, like I couldn't even wrap my head around how he would get out of this cycle. Like I, and that even made me more sad. And it was in the context of this little boy situation that I got to see the most artistic thing I've ever seen in my life. And it was when the teachers and the principal came up with sort of a, an action plan to help him navigate his behavior. And when I say criticize art and not artists, in, in the context of this situation, they knew that they had to come down hard on his hitting. Um, hitting sounds so juvenile. When we, I mean, we see worse just watching, you know, nighttime TV, <laughs> you know, like, but to five-year-olds hitting is like as violent as they've ever seen in their lives. It's a huge deal. Like it's like so not okay. And so the the ret- retribution is the first word I thought of. It's such a terrible word to use in the context of this story. The the response, there we go, another R-E word. The response had to be swift and very strong and very clear every time he did this. So there had to be this huge, massive no to his behavior. But the challenge is, and this is something that I never understood until I watched these teachers and I interacted with this boy in my own class. No one ever warned me in college that when I would be dealing with behavior like this, like if when, like when he was in my art class, the first time I ever saw him go after another kid, no one ever warned me that that was going to trigger me. No one ever warned me that the unhealed stuff I had around being victimized as a kid was going to come to the surface like you wouldn't even believe. And there would be this, I remember the first time it happened, there was this visceral reaction in me to just tell him to get the fuck out of my classroom without the F word. (laughs) But like, um, you are a problem. You need to get out of here. Like that was like the first thing I thought to say. And it was in the context of these amazing, talented administrators and teachers that I learned that that creates more problems than it solves. You go, you go after the behavior that hard, and then at the same moment, you have to really let this kid know that you love them. Go after art, not artists hate on the behavior, love on the person. And the reason I call this thing the most artistic thing I've ever seen is because I've never done anything. I've never tried to do anything more challenging in my life because (laughs) when you're triggered, legitimately triggered, like your own shit that you still have to deal with, (laughs) 
when it's triggered, it is really hard not to go after people. And we see this a lot in the world. Um, we And it's it's so common that I don't even think we realize people are doing it. I'll, I'll see it on social media a lot. And I, I use the terrorist example because I've seen that word thrown around a lot. And I think a lot of people are like, well, what's the big deal? They are terrorists. Well, they're terrorizing. <laughs> but a lot of people, I would argue all people that commit acts of terror are doing it because they've been victimized tremendously in their lives. And some people will say, well, yes, that's true, but not all people who have been victimized end up doing these awful things. It's true also. But one of the things that I learned from these amazing teachers and principal was that, excuse me, was that the label is creative. The label is artistic. And the minute you say to a five-year-old, you are a problem, get out of my classroom. Um, that, that, that's in that kiddo's brain now (laughs) permanently. And in what ways will that create more of the thing that you're trying to heal? Right. And it's, and this is, this is not easy stuff. This is challenging stuff because the reason why we label people instead of going after their behaviors or ideas is because if you label people and you go after people, it's a lot easier to not have to look at your own stuff. And I got to tell you, I wasn't ready for that. When I got to become a teacher, no one warned me about that. That was the hardest part of being a teacher, by the way, is that, you know, I would see 150 kids a a day. And I was guaranteed to be triggered like four, five, six times a class. (laughs) Just... Uh, and and I realized, oh my gosh, like the most Zen grounded teachers are the ones that have systematically faced their own triggers and healed them so that in the face of their students' triggers, they're not getting lit up all day long. And when I thought about doing that, it, it almost felt insurmountable. <laughs> and then I saw what this action plan did for this sweet little boy. And this is what they did. Every time he would hit, he was immediately removed. Never labeled. Always just removed. Your behavior is um, not okay in this class. And you will be um, leaving. And they always framed it this way. We understand that your feelings got so big that you had to lash out. And so we're going to, and so now you have, now you can go somewhere and we're going to give you some space to get your feelings back into control. And then when that happens, you can go back with your friends. And so it was always framed as this way of serving him. And then what the principal would do, he would sit in her office as she had a, a little art kit and we set it up together. I gave her a bunch of supplies with things that I knew he loved, specifically drawing things. And she would tell him, if you're having really big feelings right now, I want you to draw about it. I want you to draw. And she said, you don't have to draw your feelings. You can just draw anything that makes you feel happy. And he got that. He got it. 
because he was already doing it. He was already using drawing to manage his energy to begin with. And so having an authority figure literally give him permission to do the thing that he was good at to to re-regulate himself was heaven for him. And the change was profound. The change was profound. We went from seeing, like, I remember when he first came in as a five-year-old, he had anger in his eyes all the time. You just, like, he lived in a perpetual state of anger. And that's tragic for a five-year-old, y'all. Five-year-olds should not be living in that state, ever. <laughs> and and within a year or two, his face had softened tremendously. And his mother pulled me aside. I, I don't remember. I mean, I think it was probably right before, you know, he left the school in fourth grade. I, I finally got to meet her. And and it was it was it was if I'm being honest, it was pretty sad. She was she looked like a very sad person and there was a lot of shame just just in her eyes all the time. Just shame. And I think it must have taken her a lot of courage to come up to me or to and to come up to any of the teachers but the school was so loving I mean it was just like a loving school and this principal was magic I she was only a few years from retirement when I worked with her and I learned so much from her approach and I and this mother eventually realized that she was completely welcome and and needed that she needed a community of people and she came up to me one day after school and she just said thank you she said, my son loves art so much and it's helped him so much. And then there was like a million other things that she said with her eyes <laughs> that could not possibly be spoken in words. And this ability to go after his behavior with swift action, big fucking hell no. Like energetically, every time he hits, every time he hits someone, every teacher, every administrator that saw it gave him an, a humongous energetic hell no. Like he felt it. <laughs> and then they gave him a big, I love you, buddy. Let me, let's, let's do this. We got this. It sounds so beautiful as I'm talking about it. Like even as I'm hearing myself tell this story, it sounds so beautiful and anyone who has children knows how hard this is. Anyone who has tried to work with other people's children knows how hard this is. Anybody who's tried to work with adults <laughs> who are in trauma knows how hard this is. Um, we are wired for connection. And when someone else is going through something, if we have residual energy that hasn't been dealt with, it will be lit up. And this is, why am I, why am I telling this story right now? <laughs> I've been perseverating on telling this story right now because I think we can all agree that, you know, if you just get on the evening news or, or check your normal news outlets online, the world is full of people lighting each other up and having no idea why. Um, this little, this little boy, um, 
he was purposefully put with certain teachers. And the teachers that he was put with were the ones that were incredibly, incredibly aware of their own stuff and had done their own healing. Um, I remember his first grade teacher, she was incredibly religious, but like in the best way, like not the crazy way that sometimes we associate with religion. Um, She had been through a lot of trauma in her own life and she had worked through her own healing using religion. And she was magic with kids who had been through trauma because she understood the most artistic thing, go after the behavior, not the person. And the only people that are really good at this are the ones that have faced their own stuff. And sometimes I'll get online and I'll look at the news and I realize how many people in our country haven't faced their own stuff and they're getting lit up everywhere they go. This is an awesome time to talk about this because there's ripe opportunities to get lit up right now. (laughs) And if it, and if it even remotely sounds like I'm trying to shame anybody for getting lit up, um, I hope that that it's clear that I'm absolutely not. I, (laughs) I still get lit up. I, I, I got lit up multiple times as a teacher and lashed out at kids in pretty awful ways. And also because of some of my own inner work was able to you know, create reparations with those kids in a way that I hope was meaningful. But, you know, Secret Sauce to me is a really neat opportunity as a podcast to talk about the ways that we interact in the world as artistic, because I think we're also used to thinking of art as a product. And Brian Eno, I love some of his stuff when he talks about art and he has said famously I ate (laughs) I keep pausing do y'all know I keep pausing to burp (laughs) I just ate a bowl of pasta so fast (laughs) so this is real talk now sorry um Brian Eno has famously said and been you know shared this his this sentiment of his has been shared quite a bit that um, we should stop thinking about art as only objects and start thinking about them as experiences. That we are living our art all the time. We're living artworks ourselves. The ways that the things that we do when we're painting a painting are, are eerily similar to the things that we do when we're constructing our day, our lifetimes. <laughs> and that's why, to me, this ability that I saw in some of my educator friends and by my principal. I feel very comfortable calling that the most artistic thing I've ever seen. That ability to hold space for such nuance of feeling is something that I don't see happen often except for with artists. That's an artistic thing to do. To be able to swiftly go after behavior with, with like with, with with I'm like stumbling over the right words with strong boundaries of right and wrong and yes and no right you know that really black and white energy that that's that very clear cut energy in one hand and at the same time the soft, squishy, nuanced, you know, highly, highly 
not <laughs> highly, highly amorphous um, feelings of love and acceptance and respect. You know, I would see teachers project both of those things at this little boy at the same time. That's amazing. When you try it, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> and when you get good at it, you will feel like the most powerful person. And I've, I've done it. I've, I do it more and more as I get older. And as I do it more and more, the reason why I've come to understand that I do feel so much power is because I actually do have a lot of power. The inner power that you need to have, the inner artist that you need to have, the inner creator that you need to be to wield that kind of energy in the world is pretty intense. <laughs> All of the ways that you're wounded as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult that haven't been dealt with, those things will come up in the face of anyone else's trauma. That's how it works. It's pretty crazy. And I think a lot of people um, in our culture don't even think about it that way because it's not something that classically we're taught. Although it's changing, I think. I think it is changing when I see the ways that millennials parent their kids now. Um, a lot of people will criticize millennial parents, and there may be some justification to that. But I also notice that millennial parents do an, a much better job than previous generations at holding the space for these two things. Some people call it coddling them, but I don't think so. I think that a lot of millennial parents are trying their best to hold space for these two things. Go after behavior, not kids. Why is this so important now? <laughs> well, I guess I wanted to share it with you because I imagine that a lot of you are feeling lit up all the time. I feel like because of some of my experiences with this energy teaching and as an artist, I'm, I'm navigating it pretty well. And still, I get lit up a lot. Just I, I have to be very careful about the news and who I talk to and what I, I interact with on social media. And so it's an, a really compelling time to start looking at our own inner stuff because it's so easy to see. <laughs> All of our inner stuff that hasn't been dealt with is getting to come to the surface now in a way that it has never done historically. I mean, you could look at that one of two ways, but I choose to think how magical that this crap's not hiding anymore. And once you see it, you have an opportunity to do something about it. You have an opportunity to lean into it and heal it if you want. It's not, you know, I don't, I'm not even going to begin to suggest that that's like a simple, easy thing, <laughs> but it's way easier to do once you notice it. And, and once it's conscious, sometimes I'll see people on the news, you know, screaming and full of so much feeling and anger. And I'm just like, oh man, I don't even know if they know where any of that's coming from. It's like the feelings are just, are just taking control of so many people in our population at the moment. I was grateful to kids for this reason. You know, kids were really... Kids will, and parents, especially new parents, they'll tell you kids will help you face a lot of things because 
they haven't been educated to be proper and polite and say all the right things. <laughs> so they'll just be themselves and inevitably they will make you aware of your triggers and the stuff that you need to work on. <laughs> and in that ways, they're such cool artists in, in their own right, you know? Um, working with this stuff is also artistic. If you've ever healed trauma, that that's creative as fuck. Um, working on your own inner world and moving stuff out of your space that used to plague your thoughts. Like if you don't think trauma is creative and artistic, I mean, have you ever, like, do you remember some of the thoughts that you might've had when you were young? Like I used to think terribly, terribly negative things when I was young and those were highly creative. It might, it might as well have had a paintbrush in my head, you know? Um, this work is terribly artistic and it is one of my inspirations for doing secret sauce. What happens when we start thinking of artistry in this way? Um, for me, it's been tremendously helpful to think about my life as an artwork because I understand intimately how to make art. I've been doing it my whole life. And the minute that I started to recognize that my life was an artwork, things transformed. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, go after art, not artists. Because when you go after artists, the it's, it's creative. It's creating more of what you don't want. I sometimes think, what if that little boy had gone to a different school and every single time he hit someone, he was told that he was bad and then he was asked to leave and go into a space and sit quiet and think about what he did and, and he would go sit and think about how he was bad the whole time and he would grow into an adult who had a fundamental belief that he was bad because that's what every adult ever told him in his school and that's what he saw between his parents at home every day. And he might lash out in a terribly violent way and get on the news and everyone who didn't know him would judge him, right? Like that's what's happening right now. It's one of the things that I think we're like artistically working on at the moment is What, what does it matter if I understand this little boy's situation? It meant nothing that I understood his situation if I didn't understand my own. It really didn't. I realized early on that, that I was almost powerless to help him if I didn't have a really clear understanding of my own trauma. And this is the artistry that fascinates me most is that we're, we seem to be in an external revolution right now. We seem to be having a revolution between one another right now, but the real revolution is happening inside of people. And the ones that are looking for the stuff inside of themselves are the ones that are going to navigate this time the best. <laughs> As I began to look at the ways that this little kid triggered my stuff, 
oh my gosh, my teaching world changed. Um, and you, you, y'all, you would be surprised. Like I, I didn't have a terribly traumatizing childhood, but when I was 12, I had five neighborhood girlfriends who collectively just decided at some point arbitrarily, like, like kind of like in the mean, like a mean girls movie that they, they were no longer my friend. And I'll never forget. I came down to the bus stop one day, 12 years old, and none of them would talk to me or look at me. No seat for me on the bus, no seat for me at lunchtime. And overnight I went from having five really good friends or so I thought to having no friends at all. And it was, it was traumatizing and it made me stronger and I came out the other side of it. Um, and that shit came up with this five-year-old. This is how we're wired. And if, <laughs> but it would have been so easy to blame him. It would have been so easy to say, this is your shit only. You just hit a kid. I don't have to look at myself. You're bad. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this is amazing. Like I could talk about this forever. This is artistic stuff here. This is massively artistic stuff here. How are we going to navigate these times? Are we going to insist that every time we get lit up by something that we see, how long are we going to insist that that's just because they suck? Or when will we use it as an inroad to be artists in our own inner worlds? Oh, oh crap. You're literally showing me something I didn't know was there before. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, if it sounds like I'm an expert on this, I am so not, but I am so fascinated by it. I think it's amazing the ways that we can recreate our inner lives and our external worlds through approaching interactions with people this way, through as artists. Go after behaviors, not people, because you are connected to them. And when someone does something that really, really sucks, <laughs> if you're lit up, it's because of your own stuff. That's why when you see the Dalai Lama, he barely bats an eye. <laughs> He's so like, there's not many people on the world that are that Zen, but they exist. <laughs> and it's because... It's because they truly don't get lit up in the face of stuff like that anymore because they've worked through it. It's kind of crazy. And I, you know, I recognize I'm tangenting a little bit, but to me that's okay because this topic is, it's, it's weird and messy and not simple all the time. And I think that's why it's so worthwhile. In a, in a lot of the same ways that messy, complicated art is worthwhile, you know. I, I guess I, I was, you know, and I'm going to wrap up by saying this. I was hesitant in some ways to share this story because I thought, you know, depending on the type of person and the place that they're at, when it's time to listen to the story, this may not feel comforting at all. And... That's probably a valid thing if anyone's feeling that way um, because it doesn't feel terribly easeful to 
be listening to a podcast and someone says, oh, are you lit up every day during a pandemic? (laughs) Yes, yes, I am. Oh, by the way, it's probably because you need to work on your inner world. (laughs) Like that's not like that's not in some ways helpful at all. Um, And and it doesn't have to mean all of the subsequent work, right? Like, does it mean that you now need to go embark on this big scathing inner journey? (laughs) No, not at all. Um, When I first began teaching and first began interacting with this kiddo, um, I was not even remotely ready to look at my inner world. (laughs) But I understood enough about the triggers to make it a better choice when he lit me up. And that was enough. That created a lot of peace in my art room that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so sometimes it's just as simple as that. What is one simple thing that you can do each time you run into something like this? Do you do we go after people? Or do we lean into ourselves so that we can go after their behaviors instead? And maybe in some distant day, figure out a way to love on them. Because, <laughs> you know, that that very well may never happen. I, I think it's the height of intellectual arrogance to suggest that anyone who has been on the receiving end of trauma needs to respond in any specific way to other people. Um, for me to suggest that you should be nice to someone that lights you up is terribly intellectually arrogant. I would say that you have to absolutely 100% do what you have to do. I remember sometimes this little kiddo's first grade teacher would literally say, I need to walk away right now. And she would have an aide come and deal with it. Like like just because she she had to have space from that kiddo. She had to. And... So it doesn't, it's not mutually, these things aren't mutually exclusive. To suggest that we love this little boy doesn't mean to put up with his shit. (laughs) That's what's so crazy about this ability. It's so nuanced, right? How do you say, oh, hell no to behavior and I love you to the person? It's one of the most challenging things of our time. And I also think it's one of the most important things of our time. And I just couldn't wait to ramble about it with you in a podcast episode. (laughs) I love y'all. And I hope that this was whatever you needed. Take, Take what resonates with you and leave the rest. I look forward to bringing Jade into the Secret Sauce studio. And when I say Secret Sauce studio, I mean over a virtual call (laughs) next Monday. Until then.